1: Welcome back to the Missing Mora Murray podcast. How are you tonight, Lance? Tim, I'm really good. How are you? <laughs> Doing well. We've got a uh, pretty cool interview or I guess conversation uh, for this episode. What do you think about this one?
2: It just kind of came out of the blue and it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's very cool. It's a good partner to have in this, in what we're trying to do here.
1: Yes, and so we have Nancy Grace on for this episode. It's about a half an hour conversation with Nancy. Um, She is familiar with the Murray case. She uh, did cover it at times in the past, although we don't talk about it too much in this episode, so I don't want to get your hopes up for that. But what we do talk about is it's really more of a conversation about media and crime and the way crime is handled with social media and uh, things like that in today's uh, crime
2: landscape to be honest it was fun she's a fun person she's smart incredibly funny and probably could have talked for a lot longer and i have a feeling that we're going to talk to her for a lot longer in the future
1: yeah well she's going to be at crime con in indianapolis in june as are we um so if you are interested in going to crime con please go to crimecon.com and register and use promo code MMPOD20 for 20% off. That's M-M-P-O-D-20 for 20% off. Lance and I are going to be there, as well as James Renner. We're going to talk about the case a bit, and Nancy Grace will be there, and some uh, well, a lot of other podcasters. Obviously, you, uh, you listen to podcasts if you're listening to this. Chances are you listen to other podcasters that are also going to be there.
2: And among the other podcasts that will be joining us, we have Generation Y and we have the Vanish podcast. That's so just a, a couple of the many that will be there.
1: Cool. So check that out. I think you guys would really enjoy Con. And also after this interview with Nancy, we will be back with more Missing Maura Murray. But the next two episodes, we will be talking about the Brianna Maitland case. It is our entry into that realm. And we'll see where it goes from there. But after those first two episodes, we will be back with regularly scheduled Mora Murray coverage.
2: And don't forget to check out this week's menu over at Blue Apron. Get your first three meals for free with free shipping by going to blueapron.com slash missing.
1: Nancy, could you please tell us about your new project?
3: Well, first of all, thank you guys for having me on. I'm very excited about the new project. Um, as you know, I have been in crime busting for a really long time now, um, and it is born out of the murder of my fiance Keith, shortly before our wedding many years ago. Um, I feel that this new venture, CrimeOnline.com, and our podcast, which is a Crime Story, takes the next step, particularly with crime online. And I'll tell you why. I had my show on CNN's HLN for 12 years. And before that, I was at Court TV. You know, crime is 24-7, 365. It doesn't take a break. On HLN. My show went at 8 p.m. Eastern, and it repeated at 2 a.m. Guess what? There's 22 hours in the day left for crimes going down. And I noticed in the past years, the past couple of years, two to three years before I left HLN, that the crimes we were busting were more related to people on my Facebook and Twitter versus the show. Yeah, yeah. Um, and at first I didn't really make a correlation, and I didn't think any a lot of it. I was just happy, you know, that someone would have cited a missing child or, or call in information. I was just happy for that. But then I started thinking about it and realized that most of the valid, legitimate tips we were getting. We're from Facebook and Twitter. I mean, what about that, guys?
2: Yeah, that's something that we've noticed as well. And um, with the medium of podcasting as a way to raise awareness and, and uh, for the for the for, for the crime out there, do you, um do you think that that's going to enhance the the Twitter and the Facebook leads? Do you think that that's a, a good uh, medium? As far oh, as oh uh... my
3: stars, yes, I do. Don't yeah. you agree? Because yes. I love listening to you guys' podcast. It's so um, – I feel like I'm part of not just a TV presentation where I throw the sound and then I put up this sketch and I, it, it's more of a theatrical production on podcasts and on CrimeOnline.com. You're really getting down to it and, and it's more – I get more information, I feel. And I also feel like I'm part of a conversation, I like
2: it. Yeah, it does feel a little bit more like you're telling a story. And I think that engages your audience a little bit more than, say, reading an article in the newspaper or watching something on TV. It really feels like you're part of it.
3: Or fighting with a defense lawyer. Is that what you wanted to say? That's
2: what I was getting
3: at. (laughs) Or, or screaming at a defense attorney.
2: <laughs> heated conversation, however you want to say yeah, it. Yeah, that's
3: a nice way to put it. That's certainly putting perfume on the pig. <laughs> a heated conversation, a lively discussion. <laughs> <laughs> right,
2: exactly, a lively discussion.
3: So I'm very, very excited, and the crime online website aspect of it, it has 800 numbers to call if you have information, tip lines, Uh Helplines, missing child websites. Um, it's got the very latest of what's happening, plus a whole section on cold cases. Oh, very good. I'm all about cold cases. You know that. Yep. So I, I, I'm just very. It, it, we're into teacher scandals. We're into family crime. We're into breaking crime, cold cases, mugshots, tip lines, rewards, most wanted sex offender registry maps the work soup to nuts people head to toe
1: <laughs> so um why do you feel like
3: what are you laughing at it's no. not funny
1: no.
3: oh I'm sorry I don't know where that came from go uh. ahead <laughs> we're sorry we're
2: sorry
3: <laughs> that's just what I had to pull out sometimes if I couldn't really start a legitimate <laughs> argument on the air I was just I... waiting to catch somebody smiling because it's not funny <laughs> I,
2: I, I can't tell you how much like sweat just broke out on me right there <laughs>
3: But you know what you would you would you would laugh so hard if you could see me with my twins. It's the complete opposite. Oh, I bet. They're like, "Can we stay up till ten o'clock and finish this Maybe I'm like, "Sure, why not? You only live once."
2: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
3: Let's have some ice cream while we're at it. With chocolate sauce. <laughs> you know, it's the complete opposite. So, why do you
1: think that uh, that a lot of tips come in through Twitter and Facebook and other forms of social media?
3: Honestly. Because it's easy. I think yeah. it's easy. I mean, how? of course, it can get you in trouble, too. But how quick is it to shoot off an email or a text? And sometimes you, you say the wrong thing or you say it incorrectly or you don't spell check or it doesn't come across the way you meant it to because it's so fast and easy. You just write it and send it off and you go, uh-uh. Mm-hmm. It's easy. It's at the tip of your fingers and it's just a whole new way of looking and thinking and reacting. I mean, okay, I'm going to just ask you an honest question. Dare you answer? How many times, just say in the last two months, have you sat down and watched the six o'clock news, the world news as they call it? Mm, Zero. I haven't. Zero. Zero. I get up in the morning, um, I get up in the morning feeling like P. Diddy. Okay. (laughs) Thank you, Kesha. Actually, I get up in the morning. (laughs) Thanks some hot tea. And I read. (laughs) I read online. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know where that came from either. Um, And I read online. Keep everything super quiet so the twins can keep sleeping. This is like 5 a.m. Get everything ready. Read, 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 read. I don't even turn on the TV. I get everything off my iPad. Mm-hmm. Seriously, and uh, that, and then when we watch, if we're watching something specific, you know, we will. I'll put the my husband th- flips the TV on in the morning and keeps it on super low, but nobody's really watching it. We don't get our news there. People are getting their m- news from their mobile devices, maybe from their desktops, maybe from their iPhones. That's where it's all coming from, and that's why those responses and tips are coming from iPads, iPhones, you know, cell phones. That's what's happening.
2: Exactly. Yeah, it's all on demand now. Uh, people don't want to wait around.
1: You and don't why have should
3: to? they?
2: Yep. I can imagine that you must have a team of – people who sift through all of the negative uh, trolling that would happen. Do you think that's something as far as the medium of uh, podcasting do you think that's something that is uh, is is getting to the could get to the point of distraction?
3: What are you talking about? are, are you trying to say somebody's gonna say something negative about law <laughs> <laughs> Really I had never noticed that. Do you think that's gonna are you asking me is that going to distract us?
2: Yeah. people taking
3: pot shots no. I, If that were true, I'd be hiding under the bed right now. I mean, (laughs) really. And I think about it; it's so much easier to say something negative. You know, Mm -hmm. it's just so easy. Look at her. You know, look at that. What are they? It's just so easy. It's just, you know, that saying that it takes more muscles to frown than to smile. Right. Wait, how does it go? I can't even remember. But the same thing is, it's just so easy to take pot shots at people.
2: I think uh, I think my question was mostly just uh, to hear what your advice was. Because when Tim and I started this, we got bombarded. So I think my question was more like, I wonder what Nancy Grace does when she gets hit with uh, negative trolling.
3: Sometimes it—it it is hurtful. But does that mean I'm not going to do it? No. I've been to too many murder scenes i've been in too many autopsies my life was destroyed destroyed by gun violence and because some person that i don't know who lives somewhere i've never been who isn't they are going to let me stop what i'm doing no no i will continue on does it hurt yes yes it hurts course it hurts once in a while i actually learn something you know i if i dare to look once in a while i learn something i could do better or differently and i i really do try but mostly i think it's hateful and i don't like it so i try to stay away from it you know (laughs) my grandmother said so um you invite the devil in to tea you think he's not going to try to have dinner and spend the night (laughs) so You know, that's the thing. If you entertain all the hate, pretty soon it takes over. And that's what you think about. Luckily, I've got something stronger than that. I have the memory of Keith. Right. So that overshadows all the haters.
1: Now, I know Facebook is a little different because it's it's a little uh, less anonymous than, say, Twitter or Reddit. But in your experiences, how have the anonymity of Twitter and Reddit sort of hurt any tips that have come in? Or, like, how do you think law enforcement can handle that moving forward? Uh, any, any kind of threats from anonymous sites like that?
3: Well, um, I think that anonymity makes it more difficult for police to, say, follow up on a tip. And, of course, so much can be tracked now, you know, with your IP provider. It's it's a digital fingerprint. But I think that when it comes to following up on tips, say, on a missing child or a homicide, the anonymity degree makes it more difficult to follow up on it. Now, yes, they can go investigate that tip. Um, for instance, a, a kid goes missing, and a neighbor says, DFACS, Department of Family and Children's Services, has been at that house 10 times. Those kids were always in the street. They were hungry. They were mistreated. They had bruises. What if that you can't trace the tip? You can't go question the person to determine their veracity, their truthfulness? You can't really, but what you can do is you can go and try to corroborate it. I mean, it's something to go on. So I think that the anonymity hurts, but it also helps in the sense that people are more willing to give tips and come forward if they can't be traced or called into court.
2: Right. How do you think the media coverage of Maura Murray's case would have been different if it happened today instead of 2004?
3: I think that there would probably have been more tips. I think that there would have been more conversation I think uh, a lot of things – it was like a perfect storm in the Mara Murray case because the fact that negative things came out about her, for instance, the whole stolen credit card to order food thing, that was three months before her disappearance. Mm -hmm. Now, in my world, using a stolen credit card to buy food, by the way, was what it was for. Right. As opposed to, you know, buying drugs or alcohol or taking a luxury trip, it was to order food. Okay. She had that dismissed on good behavior. When people hear things like that, that makes them care less about the victim. When they hear about her going to a party and getting back around one twenty a.m., um, That makes some people think, oh, well, you know, she asked for it, right? She's out at 1.20 a.m. See, I disagree with that thinking. Then you have her looking around on MapQuest for directions to the Berkshires and then calling about renting a condominium and then crashing the car. Now, let's look at the timeline there. She crashes a car, and she had packed clothing and toiletries, textbooks, birth control pills, okay, so that makes people think, oh, she's a tramp because she's on the pill. That's so not true. That is not true. In fact, on my HLN show, I would go with a guest here and say, one of you says one thing about birth control pills, don't even. Because (laughs) there's still a stigma attached to that. It's crazy. Mm -hmm. But, uh, oh, that brings back a memory you might like. When I first started prosecuting in inner city Atlanta, when the assembly was in session the george assembly i was sent along with some veterans to do anti-crime lobbying and i remember helping to write crouch down out in the hall the rape shield law where a rape victims passed like how many men she had slept with was she uh, had she ever had an abortion blah 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 that is irrelevant in a court of law and i remember arguing that a rape victim's use of birth control pills was irrelevant to whether she had been raped. Defense attorneys would actually try to bring that into evidence. I mean, how wrong is that? So my point is, when viewers or listeners hear facts like that, some of them turn against the victim, you know? But if anybody looks in the mirror, they'll see plenty of stuff wrong with themselves, right? So I think that a lot of things combined, but all of those social issues aside, which are irrelevant in law, look at what happened. She has a crash. Um, She crashes on the side of the road. Somebody stops and asks to help. She says, no, no, I've already called AAA, although AAA has no record of a call like that. Shortly thereafter, within half an hour, the police are there, and she's gone. Now, what does that say? Did she wreck the car on purpose? I think a lot of these questions still hang in the air don't you
2: yeah, absolutely i think um I've been saying for a long time well we've been saying for a long time that uh, her past really doesn't matter there's been there's been years of digging up her past and her family's past that really don't matter uh, when you when you look at the accident site and you look at the you know, 15, 16 minutes, 17 minutes from uh, when, the fir- when the accident happened and when um, when uh, the first uh, responders arrived. That's what we really have to be looking at, and that's what really what we have to be digging into.
3: And then you have the police dog who tracked her scent. It's off a glove, as I recall, about 100 yards away from where her car was found. Now, see, that suggests to me that she may have been taken, but she clearly... Did she set off on foot?
2: Well, up in that area, it'd be really tough to exit that scene on foot without without any trace of your, your footprints going into the woods. You really would have to be on the road. And uh, Butch Atwood, the bus driver, did see other cars passing by. He said he saw several cars passing by. He didn't see the accident from his house, but he saw several cars passing by. And um, none of them stopped. And no one came forward to say that in that immediate area, they saw a young lady on foot on the road. They didn't find any tracks going into the woods.
3: I see no reason why she would have left on foot, and I'll tell you why. There are witnesses that state um, her car, of course, was pointed west on the eastbound side of the road. Now, remember the neighbor that was a school bus driver noticed her, and she was not bleeding But he said she was cold and shivering. He asked her if he needed to call for help. She said don't call police, and she had already called AAA. If she wanted a ride, she could have gotten a ride with him. So why would she set off on foot in the cold?
2: Exactly, and that's why when we're looking at the case, it's that it's from – 725 to about 740 that, that we're looking at. And it has to really... Like you said it... Um, it's, it really was a perfect storm of everybody looking and everybody looking away kind of all at the same time. She she almost literally disappeared at the precise moment that she should have disappeared and, and have no trace of her going on 13 years. There's not a lot of window right there. The neighbor, Faith Westman, made the phone call. She never... She never says on the phone to police that there was um, a bus that had pulled up because Butch Atwood, the, um, the bus driver, the neighbor, he's driving his bus. It was never stated in the, uh, in the dispatch logs from Faith Westman's call. Oh, there's a bus there. You think she might have said something about that? I don't know. Maybe she didn't, but it would block the scene. She claims that there was a flurry of activity at the trunk. So she's describing a scene to the dispatch, and then, then there's nothing. And that's that time where something – She's gone. Something happened.
3: Well, there's the other issue that he says she assured him she had called AAA, but AAA has no record of a call.
2: And there's no cell phone service up there today. You can go up there today and you, you can't get service.
3: So why would she have said that? He knew, I believe, that there was no cell phone reception there. Anyway, he goes home and calls police. Now, interesting, a lot of people question the bus driver as being one of the last people to see or talk to her but he called police in my experience anyone involved in a crime is not going to call police even if to cover their own tracks you might say something to a, a coworker or a friend or a family member to cover your tracks but you don't call police he called police um i, I find that indicative of his veracity i think that he was telling the truth about what he saw
2: I also think based on the articles, news articles written, um, that he felt extremely guilty afterward.
3: You know, another issue, all the stuff in her car. If this were all a big ruse for her to run away or disappear, why didn't she take it? Mm -hmm. Why didn't she take any of that stuff? I mean, clearly she was planning to go away and maybe be on a vacation, but to to pack everything – to go somewhere and then leave it all behind, I, I don't I don't buy that.
2: And the items that she did take were immediate items like her purse, her cell phone, her wallet, keys the, keys, the keys, yep, lock the car. Um, it's something as, as if, you know, what do I need immediately? That's what I'm going to take. That's what's credit on my cards, person. Credit card, yep, credit wallet, cards,
3: yep. debit card, cell phone, and none of that has ever been located or, importantly, used.
2: Exactly, correct.
1: How do you feel about the uh, the Murray family and and their reaction to this? And I know every family is different, um, but but you've worked with a lot and you've seen a lot of cases. And uh, do you think th- their behavior is odd after their um, daughter went missing?
3: In what sense?
1: Well, I don't know. Some people say that they're they're secretive or they know more than uh, they say they do, and uh, it's. It's not something we necessarily believe at all, um, but
3: but I mean, isn't it true that by eight o'clock, Feb eleven, her father arrived before dawn and started searching. I mean, the family started searching early, early in the morning, along with fishing game, as I recall it. I mean, they were out there searching, and the boyfriend and his parents arrived. He was interrogated. His parents were questioned. Um, I mean, right there, if, if you think – if you're part of it – now, some people will seemingly go along with police to look innocent, but they questioned him. He went along with it. He didn't lawyer up.
1: Back to sort of uh, social media and, and crime a little bit and, and that relationship, um, that, uh, that horrible story that broke in the last few days about uh, those teens in Chicago um, Facebook-living uh, some abuse – I guess it's sort of – my question sort of about that. Like how has social media changed the landscape of crime in a negative way? I know we kind of talked about it in a positive way earlier.
3: Well, you say tomato. I say tomato. I think it helps because if they had done this without Facebook Live, we wouldn't know about it.
2: That's a great point. They were going to do, do it regardless. If they're so
3: darn stupid as to put it on Facebook, Good. States exhibit number one, I mean, the crime is going to happen. Do I like it? No. Do I accept it? Yes. Crime will happen. And if they are stupid enough to Facebook Live it or to post it or to tweet it, I couldn't be happier. Now, the aspect of them doing it just to get attention, like uh, purposely torturing the guy in order to put it on Facebook Live, in order to get notoriety or attention – In that way, it's bad. Social media is bad for crime. But I really believe that if you're going to do a crime like that, you're going to do it whether you're going to post it or not. The fact that you can stream it doesn't change who you are. I mean, for instance, okay, you're walking through Central Park and a bunny crosses your path. Is your instinct to club it over the head or to watch it go by? I mean, my instinct would be, oh, look, there's a bunny. Twins, look, look. My instinct would not be to chase it down and club it and take it home and eat it that night. No. It's just your makeup. It's your DNA. It's who you are, either by nature or nurture. Their instinct is to be brutal, brutality. Now, is that going to change because they've got Facebook Live? No. It's who they are. Luckily, they Facebook live it.
2: What an interesting way to look at that, because most people are, are are reading about that and and watching that story and saying that it's you know it's brutal and and look at you know the social media uh, element that's involved. But when you're dealing with that kind of personality, like you're saying, like you know a psychopath, they they want that, they want the attention, and it's they're literally painting themselves into a corner by 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 using that for the the, the attention purpose. It's an and
3: interesting I could be happier. Exactly, I could not be happier. My only problem is it's going to taint a jury.
1: Oh, that's a good point, yeah. But you know what? The
3: thing is, it's not anything that won't be introduced at trial. So, you know, at at, at trial, when you're striking a jury, it's not, did you see this on on the Daily Mail? Did you you see this? That's not the question. Well, correction, that is the question. But the follow-up question is, even though you've seen this, Can you still keep an open mind and make your decision based on what you hear in in a court of law? Everybody will have seen it, but you will find a jury that will state that they can put that out of their mind and base their decision solely on what they hear in court. That's the question.
2: Shifting gears a little bit, you're going to CrimeCon, con, Right.
3: You know it.
2: <laughs> nice.
3: We are, awesome. too. I'm already camped out there. Where do you think I'm calling from? <laughs> that little tent, that's me outside under the tarp.
2: Oh, right. I saw you on Facebook Live. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yes, I'm going. Well,
1: that's awesome. going to be fun. Um, yeah, we, we will see you there, too. Uh, wh- what do you have planned for CrimeCon?
3: Anger, resentment, my search for justice, <laughs> bewilderment. You know who else is going? Um, there is the director of the Cold Case Institute named Cheryl McCullum, and she's going. I used to have her on my show quite a bit, and she will be a contributor. She was also the president of Mothers Against Drunk Driving Georgia. Oh wow! She and I go back so far. When I was first a prosecutor, she was a victim's advocate, and I remember one of the first time, <laughs> one of the first times I met her. By far, not the first. We had this awesome idea that we would give. I was also volunteering at the battered women's clinic at night. And we thought we were so cool because we were giving, we got some money from somewhere, which was hard to do, to give battered women a cell phone, which was brand new and was not common. I guess this was uh, the late 80s. They were as big as a transistor radio. They were huge. And we would give them to the battered women to call if they had an emergency. I remember holding that thing up and going, look, everybody. It looked like it was holding up a cement block. Right. <laughs> right. I remember case. Cheryl and I thinking, oh, this is so great. I mean, I guess you have to lug it around in a wagon behind you to use it. But yep. I remember that moment with Cheryl, yeah. She sounds amazing.
2: She sounds amazing. Yeah. I'd like to meet her. <laughs>
3: Oh, the good times!
1: Cool. Well, uh, yeah. Thank you very much. This is been. Are you
3: actually trying to wrap me? Is that what I'm hearing? <laughs> well, I if... mean, it's so no, obvious. Can't you think of a nice way to do it today? <laughs> I mean, I'm just going to go was... drown myself in my Irish breakfast tea.
2: <laughs> that was Tim, by the way. I didn't want to wrap you. That was Tim. Rude. That was Lance.
1: Lance.
3: That was him. <laughs> I'm going to cut your mic. Oh, ooh, it's not my show. Sorry, <laughs> guys. Thank you. I will see you at Crime Com, but before then, I'll see you on CrimeOnline.com. dot com.
2: And your podcast is Crime Story, right?
3: Crime stories with Nancy Grace.
2: That's Please great. Please come
3: on as my guest. Let's talk about Mara some more. Oh, we, we barely to. we barely touched the tip of the iceberg. Yeah, well, you were trying to lure me into trashing her family, but that <laughs> no. ain't going to happen, baby doll. Not happening. <laughs>
1: I definitely was not trying to lure Nancy into bad-mouthing the Murray family. Uh, but thank you very much, Nancy Grace, for joining us on the podcast. It was a pleasure to have you on, and uh, it's such a fun conversation. Check out links to her show in our show notes. Thank you very much for listening, everybody. We'll be back next week with more. Go to blueapron.com missing to get your first three meals free with free shipping.